the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. A very happy holiday weekend to you. Hope you're having a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Uh, There is huge news this week. If you've been a longtime listener of this radio show, the news is not going to shock you. And in fact, you're going to realize that the news, which some people are touting as, hey, pretty good news, is actually not very good news at all. And in fact, confirms what we've been telling you on this program for a number of years now. And that's enough of a setup, isn't it? You're wondering, what am I talking about? Well, let me get right into it. The Social Security Administration released a report this week. By the way, that report is four months late. That's a whole nother conversation. They released a report this week acknowledging that the Social Security Trust Fund has been, quote unquote, significantly affected by the pandemic. We had millions, tens of millions of people thrown out of work due to COVID-19. When people are out of work, they're not earning a paycheck, and that means they're not paying income taxes. They're not paying Social Security taxes. That reduced the amount of money that has been collected by the Social Security Administration, reducing the amount of money going into the Social Security Trust Fund, and that is exacerbating the problem with the trust fund itself. At the moment, as has been happening for the past couple of years, the Social Security Administration has been paying out in benefits more money than it has been collecting in tax revenue. Well, you know the drill. What happens when your expenses exceed your income? You end up with a shortfall. Well, what has Social Security been doing to deal with this shortfall? Well, by law, they're not allowed to borrow money. They can't easily go to Congress and ask for more money because that would be the same as borrowing. So what do they do? They turn to the trust fund. You see, for many, many decades, the situation was the opposite. Social Security was collecting more in taxes than it actually needed to pay out in benefits. That created a surplus. Well, you know the drill. What happens when your income is more than your expenses? You end up with leftover money. What do you do with it? You throw it into the bank, you invest it, you whatever with it, you stash it. Well, that's what the Social Security Administration did. They took the excess tax revenue that they generated annually and they threw it into a trust fund. And there the money has been sitting. But lately, they haven't had enough in tax revenue to pay out current benefits. So they're now dipping into that trust fund to make up for the shortfall. Well, at the rate that they are tapping into that trust fund, According to this new report that the Social Security Administration just released, that trust fund is going to be depleted by 2033. That's 
about 12 years from now. What happens then? What happens in 2033 when the trust fund is depleted? Well, if the situation is unchanged, meaning benefits don't change, tax collection doesn't change, in other words, if everything just stays the way that it is and the trust fund is gone, well, it simply means that Social Security will pay out in benefits all the money that it collects from taxes. And that's about 76% of the total benefit payout. In other words, starting in 2033, according to the Social Security Administration, benefits are going to be cut by 24%. You've got to be kidding me. This is the fact under current law. If Congress does not change the law, if everything remains exactly as is, your Social Security benefits will be cut by about a quarter. Now, the average Social Security check in this country is about $1,400 a month. The majority of American retirees get the majority of their retirement income from Social Security. There's a large percentage of Americans who get virtually all of their retirement income from Social Security. This is not the way the system was designed back in 1935 when FDR created the Social Security system. It was meant to be a social safety net. It was designed to supplement your retirement, not serve as the bulk of your retirement or even the sole source of your retirement. But today, with so many Americans so dependent on their Social Security retirement benefits, if that $1,400 check gets cut by 25%, we're going to see tens of millions of retirees suddenly unable to pay their rent or mortgage. They'll be unable to pay for their medicine. They'll be unable to pay their property taxes or buy food. This is going to be a financial crisis for the nation of unprecedented impact. So what does it mean? What do we have to do about it? Well, this is the work that I've been engaging in for the past several years. I created, as you likely know, the Funding Our Future Coalition back in 2018. I did it in partnership with the Bipartisan Policy Center. The Funding Our Future Coalition, you can learn about it at fundingourfuture.us, is the now, I believe, the largest coalition ever formed on the issue of retirement security. More than 50 academic, educational, and corporate partners are working together to work with Congress to try to fix this problem. In fact, it was a year ago in the midst of the pandemic, when the pandemic was raging last summer, that the Bipartisan Policy Center issued a report saying that the dramatic impact of unemployment caused by COVID was going to accelerate the destruction of the trust fund. Not 2033, But 2029, while the Social Security Administration's report this week says the pandemic's impact on employment in the nation wasn't as bad as originally feared, and so the trust fund isn't going to be depleted by 2029, as the Bipartisan Policy Center had feared, but it will be depleted by 2033. So some folks are in a weird way saying, oh, gee, the report's pretty good news. Instead of the trust fund being broke, in only seven years, it's gonna not going to be broke for 12 years. Well, golly gee, I don't think that that's necessarily a good piece of news. Now, we all know the issue. We all know the solution. There are only two ways to solve the problem. Number one, you reduce 
or delay Social Security retirement benefits. In other words, if you're getting a check right now for 2000 bucks, we cut that check to 1900 or 1850 or who knows what. Or we delay the benefits. Instead of saying you can receive benefits as early as age 62, we make you wait until you're 63 or something along those lines. Or on the other hand, instead of reducing benefits, instead of delaying benefits, we raise the payroll tax. Right now, the Social Security payroll tax between employers and employees for all of the payroll taxes, not just Social Security retirement benefits, but disability benefits and and other, uh, we're talking about 15% of pay. You pay half, your employer pays half. Well, we raise those taxes from 15% to, I don't know, 17%, 18%, or some number along those lines. We let the actuaries and economists on Capitol Hill pull the levers and figure out how much do we have to delay or reduce benefits? How much do we have to increase taxes? Who do we increase the taxes on? Everybody equally? Or do we increase the taxes more on higher income workers? Or who knows what? The bottom line is, those are the only two basic ways to solve the problem. You either alter the benefits that are being paid out, or you alter the amount of revenue that's being generated in. Well, why isn't Congress dealing with this? Well, it's kind of simple. No member of Congress gets reelected by cutting benefits or raising taxes. And this is why Congress doesn't want to deal with it. And that's the real crisis, because the sooner we deal with it, the easier it is to resolve. Picture you're driving your car on a highway and you see traffic is stopped up ahead. What do you do? Well, you slowly apply the brake. You see what's coming. You're about to hit a wall and you slowly apply the brake. You slow down so that by the time you get there, you glide slowly and softly to a stop. If Congress acts now, the benefit cut, the tax increase, won't have to be very much because we've got 12 years to make it happen. But if you don't hit the brake until you get to that wall, you smash into it, and it becomes horrific. If Congress waits until 2030 or 2031 to act, the tax increase will be massive. The benefit cut will be huge. And this is why we need to encourage our members of Congress to deal with this right now. And in the meantime, what should you do? What should your personal strategy be for managing your Social Security? I'm going to tell you that when we come back here on The Rick Edelman Show. So stay tuned for more. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. We've been talking about the new report from the Social Security Administration saying that the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be depleted by 2033 at current spending rates based on the amount of tax revenue they're collecting from payroll taxes relative to the amount of benefits that they're paying out to current and future retirees. The trust fund is going to be depleted in about 12 years. And at that point, 
benefits for everybody everywhere across the board will be cut 24%. This is if Congress does not raise taxes or reduce or delay benefits. So what does this mean for you? What should your strategy be? Well, let me provide you the answers. Number one, keep in mind that Social Security was never designed to be, nor should it be, your sole income resource in retirement. In other words, if you ever plan on stopping work, if you ever plan on ceasing earned income, you need to generate alternative sources of income beyond what you're going to get from Social Security. So you need to save some of your money. It's as simple as that. You need to take some of your income and set it aside in savings and investments so that that money will be there for you in retirement and you'll be able to generate an income from that. And that is what you should be getting the bulk of your money from in retirement. Social Security should be a supplement to that, not the primary resource. So if you've been kind of cavalier about this whole thing, kind of cocky saying, oh, I don't have to worry about saving for my future. I'll be getting Social Security one day. Well, your Social Security check may be radically less than you are expecting it to be. And by the way, if you don't even know how much you're going to be getting from Social Security, it's easy to find out. Just go to their website, ssa.gov. You can open an account online, takes just a few minutes, and they will show you exactly how much money they're projecting you to receive by the time you retire. So number one, save, save, save. Number two, the big question that a lot of folks who are nearing retirement have, folks who are frankly already eligible for Social Security but haven't yet begun to receive Social Security benefits, does that sound like you? Are you 62, 63, 64 years old? Maybe you're still working, and so you haven't started to receive Social Security benefits because your attitude is, why should I? I don't need the money. I'm getting plenty of income from my job. And besides, as you know, if your income is too high when you're still in your early 60s, you'll lose a lot of your Social Security benefit to taxes. So why bother collecting it? Besides, every year you wait to receive your Social Security benefit, your Social Security benefit, when you do start to receive it, will be more. It's about 8% a year increase. That's not entirely accurate or true, but it thematically is about right. In other words, if you're going to get a dollar this year, don't take it because next year you'll get a dollar eight. So every year you wait from age 62 to age 70, the benefit will be bigger by the time you do begin. And for that reason, I, my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines, a lot of financial advisors encourage a lot of our clients to delay the start of your Social Security benefits. The longer you wait to start, the more you'll get when you finally do start. But wait a minute. If the benefits are going to get cut in 2033 by 24%, which is what the Social Security Administration is now telling us in their report this week, should you start your benefits now to get the bigger, higher benefit so that you don't have to worry about it when they cut it later? And the answer is no. The math is the math. It's all going to work out itself evenly, equally. Right now, you're going to get whatever benefit you are entitled to under the system. That benefit is a certain dollar amount. 
On an annual basis, Social Security raises that benefit with inflation. This year, it's going to be raised about 6%, the biggest one-year increase in decades. If you are receiving Social Security benefits, you're going to get 6% more next year than you're getting this year. If you're not getting benefits, when you finally do start your benefits, your benefits will be 6% higher because that's the benefit that everybody is then getting. And if you're getting benefits right now, you're getting benefits through the 2020s and into the 2030s, starting in 2033, that benefit is going to get cut by 24%. If you hadn't started your benefit, until 2033, you wait until after that cut occurs to then start your benefit, your new benefit will simply be 24% less than it otherwise would have been because that's the way it's happening for everybody everywhere. In other words, you're not really doing yourself necessarily a whole lot of good by starting your benefit today because if you start your benefit today, it's going to be a lot less on a monthly basis than if you had waited to get a higher benefit on a monthly basis later. That sound a little bit confusing? Sorry, didn't mean it to be. If it is confusing, and yeah, I understand that it may be because the Social Security system, for all its so-called simplicity, you pay money in while you're working, you get money out in retirement. That's kind of simple, right? In reality, the rules are quite complex. The calculations that the administration uses to determine your benefit amount is very complicated. So if you need help with any of this, just call your financial advisor. Don't got one? Triple eight, plan Rick, and you'll get the help you need. Let me shift gears. It's not merely Social Security that's creating a crisis in America. COVID has been wreaking havoc economically on tens of millions of households across the country. One very big issue is the fact that a lot of Americans out of work have been unable to make their mortgage payment or their rent payment. The government imposed a moratorium on evictions, and that moratorium on the federal level has just been thrown out by the Supreme Court. This is placing hundreds of thousands of people at risk of being evicted. Some states are imposing their own moratoriums. California and New York, for example, have done that. Other states, though, are going in the other direction ending their moratoriums, which means if you haven't been paying your rent or mortgage, the landlord or the lender will now have the ability to do what they would normally do in business, and that is get you out of that property. And so you need to recognize that this situation is about to go into effect between now and the end of the year, depending on the state you live in, and you're going to have to factor this into Not only your financial planning, but if this isn't something that bothers you because your personal finances are fine, you're easily able to make your payments, it's not a problem, you've got to wonder what the impact might be on the economy itself and what might that affect stock or bond prices. We've all got to take all of this into consideration. And along those lines, we've been talking about the elimination of student loan debt The Department of Education has now wiped out another $1.1 billion of student loan debt for 155,000 students who attended the for-profit college ITT. Nearly half of those students had already defaulted on their loans. And now the Education Department says we're not going to ask anybody to repay any of that $1.1 billion. This is a slippery slope. Instead of broadly proclaiming 
a $10,000 waiver on student loan debt or a $50,000 waiver on student loan debt, which would be big news and a very politically divisive thing. And they're doing it quietly uh, without a whole lot of fanfare or attention. We're going to have to see what comes next. You're listening to The Truth About Money. I'd like to bring you the latest in the field of exponential technologies. Researchers at the University of Colorado have figured out how to turn your body heat into electricity, enough to power cell phones, computers, even automobiles. And Google has artificial intelligence that is now designing computer chips faster and better than those that are designed by humans. Instead of taking months to design software, Google's AI can do it in merely hours. We're also seeing innovations in the world of agriculture. In Moorhead, Kentucky, there's a greenhouse that's bigger than 50 football fields. No soil, 3 million pounds of tomatoes are growing on vines 45 feet high, fed by rainwater enhanced with nutrients. It's called hydroponic farming. There's a 77,000-square-foot facility near Atlanta producing 10 million heads of lettuce a year. Indoor farms coming to Houston, Denver, Seattle, Honolulu, and St. Paul. 2,300 hydroponic farms around the country, and we're going to see them coming to a city near you. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK-RICK-EDELMAN.COM. The publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance coming up on the Rick Edelman Show. Edelman Show, you know, we announced a couple of months ago, back uh, in June, uh, I guess three months ago now, that at the end of this year, uh, I'm leaving my active uh, daily involvement with Edelman Financial Engines, the firm my wife and I founded 36 years ago. I'll remain on the board uh, and still the biggest individual shareholder of the company, but uh, my day-to-day activities will no longer be, and that also means the end of this broadcast. Uh, I've been on the air here for 30 years an award-winning show. Uh, it's been a big honor to do this program, but that too will come to a conclusion. Gene and I did not accomplish everything that we've done over the past three decades by ourselves. We've had an incredible fortune of being surrounded by mightily talented people, very skilled and hugely dedicated to serving the best interests of consumers and our clients. Uh, our very first Hire The very first person that we were able to persuade to join us when we were young and new was Ed Moore, who was a uh, financial advisor and in in management in a financial services firm. Uh, And we persuaded him to leave that firm, come work with us, relocate and uh, join this young, tiny startup, which had nothing but promise and hope ahead of it. And Ed was with us for 30 years. He retired last year. Uh, Before he left, Ed uh, left as the president of Edelman Financial. And he and I together worked so closely uh, with Gene in the development of our business over three plus decades. And there's nobody closer to us, uh, nobody more important in the organization development growth management of Edelman Financial Engines. And uh, Ed recently recorded this message. 
Hi Rick, your old friend Ed Moore here. For those who don't know, I was the first financial planner who joined Rick and Jean back in 1990 and worked for Edelman Financial for 30 years. A few things you may not know about Rick. Within the company, he was known for his Idea of the Day Club. You guessed it, being the visionary that he is. On an off day, he had only one new idea that we had to pursue. On a big day, he had many more ideas that had to be chased down. Another thing, you may have heard the old Mark Twain quote about the way he wrote. He said, I apologize for such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. Well, Rick Edelman was never able to write a client letter that was shorter than six pages. Although they were notoriously long, they were always entertaining and most clients enjoyed them. In all seriousness, I know Rick and Gene Edelman as well as anyone, and they are truly remarkable people. I was fortunate enough to join them very early on and had a front row seat for 30 years. Their vision was to help and impact as many people as they possibly could, and they did just that. Literally, millions have benefited from their hard work and dedication to that mission of helping others. The legacy of what they have built will endure for many, many years to come. Rick and Jean, we know you will have a huge impact in all of your future endeavors. Thanks for all of your energy and efforts and everything you gave us throughout the years. Love you guys. That was Ed Moore here on the Rick Edelman Show. Let's jump now to the telephones. Diane is with us on the air from Philadelphia. Hi, Diane. How are you? I'm doing fine, Rick. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much. Thank you for taking my call. And um, you don't know how much so many of us appreciate all of your advice you share with us over the phone. Well, I appreciate your your comment uh, very much, Diane. Thank you. That's very sweet. How can I help you today? Okay. um, Maybe something like this has been mentioned in the past. I'm not sure. But um, I retired 17 months ago, and uh, I have held a communications mutual fund. It's an investment um, for more than 20 years. It was really at the uh, behest of my late husband. Uh, This began back in around 1992. Uh, The original funds that we had invested was about $6,000 of our own money. And then uh, it just has been reinvested, reinvested. The last statement report that I received on this particular fund, the value is at $60,000. That was as of the end of June. Uh, As I said, all dividends, short-term, long-term capital gains were reinvested, for which I pay taxes on every year. Well, now I'm thinking that I would like to liquidate this fund. Um, And I understand that taxes on proceeds are paid at the sale Uh, and they're based on the cost basis, less dividend, short-term, long-term capital gains. At least that's the way I – I've been doing some reading on this, and this is the way I'm understanding it. I could be completely wrong. Now, on the last statement that I received, and it's uh, pretty much on every statement that I get quarterly, the statement records uh, a section captioned as current expense summary annual expense ratio. And it shows 1.63% equal to a quarterly amount of $246, say. All these quarterly fees that I went back and I was uh, recording just to see, you know, what this meant and how much this is totaling, the quarterly fees that I was able to retrieve go from 2008 to uh, June of 2021. And the total amounts to, in round figures, $6,700. 
I don't have any other numbers prior to 2008. All right, hang on, hang on, Diane. Let me stop you there. Go ahead. Uh, so let me answer your question for you. First of all, I agree with you for selling this fund. At a 1.6% annual expense ratio, that fund is charging you three times more than what the average investor pays for owning mutual funds. So you have a very expensive fund. Mm -hmm. um, and there are cheaper alternatives that I'm willing to bet are probably comparable in uh, quality. So I agree with you for getting rid of that investment. What you're trying to figure out is what is your tax liability going to be? And can you count the expenses of the fund to reduce your tax liability? Exactly. Um, and the answer is it's already being done for you automatically. Oh, okay. Um, so you, you don't have to worry about it. Here's what it comes down to. You've got it mostly right. You said one thing a tiny little bit in error, which I want to correct you on, but I think it's just how you said it, not what you understand it to be. When you buy an investment, we'll use your numbers. You paid $6,000 for the investment. Mm -hmm. You're selling it for $60,000. That looks like a profit of $54,000. Correct. And you owe taxes on the profit. However, the fund has been charging you expenses every year, as you've noted. Uh, it's added up over the years to thousands of dollars. Can you reduce your profit for tax purposes uh -huh. by the amount of those expenses? That's already been done for you. When the fund reports its profit, when the fund reports the share price, they've already debited that expense. I see. It's already been done. You don't have to worry about it. However... There's another piece to this, and you noted it. I'm really proud that you did because most investors are not aware of this, and that's why I want to highlight it because most folks get it wrong. As you said, you bought it for six grand, it's worth 60 grand, and it looks like your profit is 54 grand. However, over the years, as you noted, the fund has paid dividends, uh -huh. it's paid annual capital gain distributions. Uh -huh. uh, let's, let's pretend that over the last uh, 30 years, that has added up to $20,000. I'm just going to make up a number. Uh -huh. You reinvested that $20,000 back into it and you bought more shares. The IRS says that your investment, therefore, is not six grand, it's 26 grand. Okay. So when you sell it for 60, you subtract not just the 6,000 you invested, you also subtract the 20000 you reinvested of dividends and capital gains. So your profit isn't, for tax purposes, 54000 Your profit, for tax purposes, is only 34000 Okay. This is a mistake that investors make all the time. We see it so frequently that they pay taxes every year on those dividends and on those capital gains. And they don't realize that it increases their cost basis so that they don't have to pay the taxes when they sell the fund. But most people don't know it, and they end up paying their taxes twice. Mm -hmm. Big mistake. So I'm glad you recognize it. You're avoiding that problem, and good for you. And you've given us an opportunity to tell everybody else you've helped a lot of people today. Okay. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you for this information. You really clarified it really well. Uh, you just summarized everything that's generally uh, several paragraphs long in Wikipedia, <laughs> let me put it that way. <laughs> and um, I wish you all the best in, in, your, in your retirement. Your voice will be missed on the radio, most definitely. Well, I appreciate that sentiment very much, Diane. I'm not really retiring. We're moving on to our next chapter, and we've got some exciting announcements coming up in about a month telling you what we're going to be doing. But uh, I hope you'll be happy about the news we're going to be sharing. Oh, wonderful. I, I look forward to it. Thank you. Sure thing, Diane. Stay tuned for that and more, including what's next here on The Rick Edelman Show.
Hey, in case you missed our webinar, the 11 questions to ask before you hire a financial advisor, now's your opportunity. We're providing a couple of encore presentations, the 11 questions to ask before you hire a financial advisor. It's Tuesday, September 14th at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. It's free, and you can register at ricedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. author of the New York Times bestseller, Discover the Wealth Within You, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Take another telephone call here on the Rick Edelman Show and talk with Caitlin. She's in Manhasset, New York. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Rick. It's an honor to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much. What can I do to help? So I am 26 years old. I've been working for 10 years, and I have a little bit of money um, that I'm not going to need for a while. And so I'm considering how to um, invest it. And, you know, there's so much talk about um, ETFs or individual stocks, and I'm not sure I have a longer time frame, so I'm just kind of looking for some advice. Got it. Uh, how much money are we talking about? About $20,000. And where'd you get it? I got it from from working, just saving that along the way. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Uh, most most people your age are 20000 in debt, not 20000 in assets. So good for you. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Thank you. Well, no, 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 no. You're not lucky at all. You've worked very hard. And not only have you worked hard, you've worked smart by saving a lot of that money. In fact, I'm going to give you the applause of the day, Caitlin. Thank you. That's, uh, that's really terrific. You're off to a wonderful start. Where's the money right now? Where is it invested? Um, so I, I have it in a brokerage account with Vanguard, and I have a mid-cap growth ETF, an ESG international stock ETF, a total stock market ETF as well. So it's entirely invested in stocks. Okay. Yeah. You said that you're going to leave the money invested for a while. How long is a while? I suppose until I retire, thinking that long term. Okay. Do you own a house right now? I do not. Do you contemplating ever wanting to do that? Not in the near future, but in the future, yes. Got it. And are, how about marriage or partnership? You have one or planning on one or, in, or looking forward to one one day? Yes, looking forward to one one day, but not right now. And how about children? Yes. And do you think that you might ever want to use this money to help pay for those things? Yes. So not all of it can be earmarked for retirement then? Right. That's true. Okay. Are you working right now? I am working right now. And how much money do you spend on a monthly basis? Hmm. About two to $3,000. Okay. Are you living independently or living with parents? Uh, I'm currently in the process of moving, but right now I do live with my parents. Okay, so the $3,000 is what you're spending while living at home? No, that will be what I'll be spending when I when I live independently. And are there any debts that you've got before I start offering advice? Student loan debts, credit card debts, car debts? I have a student loan debt for my master's degree. And is that monthly expense included in the three grand a month? Yes. Okay. Any other debts? No. Do you have any money in the bank separate from your brokerage account at Vanguard? I do. Mm-hmm. How, how much? About 10000 
Okay. Wow. I'm going to give you more applause. You're, this is getting better as we talk. <laughs> so here's what I would recommend. Number one, it is very important to maintain cash reserves because mm-hmm. being single, uh, you're entirely dependent on your income. And if you were to lose that paycheck, just look what happened to millions of folks during the pandemic, you could be in significant trouble, especially if you're living on your own with you know expenses of maintaining an apartment and all that kind of good stuff. So having a solid six to 12 months of cash in the bank as a rainy day fund is great. Also, if you run into major crises like a car repair or some other unexpected cost that surfaces, we want to know that there's money available so you don't end up going into credit card debt to deal with that stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to spend three grand a month, then I would argue anywhere from 15 to $30,000 in cash reserves. Now that would consume all the money that you've got right now. And I know you would find that really annoying. Uh, especially since the rate of return you're getting in the bank is zero point nothing. So I kind of get it. So I'll I'll, I'll concede the 10 grand you have currently in the bank. I think that's a wonderful start. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, let me ask you this. At your job, do you have a 401k available to you? Not right now. So I have an an IRA with Vanguard as well. And is that part of the $20,000? It's not that separate. And how much is in that? Uh, $20,000. Wait a minute, you got twenty grand in a brokerage account at Vanguard and another twenty thousand dollars in an IRA at Vanguard and another ten thousand dollars in your bank? Yes. I've been All right, you get more applause. <laughs> I mean, this this is just this is just like really wonderful. Uh, I'm so thoroughly impressed with all this. At age twenty six that you've amassed so much. So really good for you. Um you. so, okay. Now I'm feeling better about this whole situation. The twenty grand you've already got in the IRA, you definitely want to keep there and that money continue to invest in stock funds. Um, You can choose the kinds of stock funds. You've already picked three, as you noted, mid-cap and ESG and a a total market fund. Uh, If you wanted to be more diversified or more targeted in the types of stocks that you're buying, there are lots of ways to do that. And I would encourage you to talk with a financial advisor uh, about those ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you are thematically, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. Your IRA money, 100% into the stock market. Leave it alone for the next 50 years. That's the best course of action. Mm -hmm. The other money, the other $20,000 that you've got in your taxable account, because that money is likely to be used a lot sooner than retirement. Uh, As you noted, a house, a spouse, and kids, Mm -hmm. uh, and all the costs associated with all the above. Uh, Everything from buying cars to buying beer to vacations and all that kind of good stuff. I would think you would want to get a more diversified approach to reduce the level of risk Uh, associated with it because you might use some of that money in as short as three to five years. You might use some of it in 10 years, some of it in 12, what have you. So I would argue for a more diversified portfolio that has more than just stocks in it, that also has bonds, that has real estate, that has foreign securities, that has Mm -hmm. a variety of asset classes. The diversification will help reduce the risk of the portfolio. And I think that would be a little more prudent. Okay. So again, I would go to your financial advisor and say, look, I'm looking for two kinds of portfolios, a 100% stock portfolio and a more diversified portfolio, one for my IRA, one for my taxable account. Okay. And go from there. Got it. And I would also encourage you to learn more about personal finance. And the best way to start is my book, The Truth About Money, written ideally for someone exactly like you, starting out off to a good start needs to learn more about investment strategy, but also home buying, buying cars, 
dealing with credit and debt, uh, retirement savings and such like that. So when we're done this phone call, Caitlin, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to capture your address offline and we'll mail you a copy of the book, The Truth About Money. Wow. Thank you so much. I look forward to reading it. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much for the phone call. You're off to a wonderful start, and you keep this up. I got a prediction. You're going to be financially very, very happy in your future years. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. That was Caitlin in Manhasset, New York, here on The Rick Edelman Show. You can do what she did. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. And uh, this is normally the segment of the program where you get a visit from my wife, Jean Edelman. Jean's off this week, so we're going to continue with our phone calls. Off to East Brunswick, New Jersey. Lester is with us. How are you doing, Lester? I'm doing well, Rick. How are you? Doing terrific. Thanks so much for calling. What can I do for you? I plan on uh, collecting Social Security mm-hmm. when I turn 70 this coming January. Okay. Forbes right now is projecting that the 2022 COLA will be in the 5.5 to 6.1% range based on current increases in the CPI. Would it not make sense for me to apply to receive my Social Security benefits beginning December 2021 in order to get the much higher anticipated COLA? No, Lester, don't worry about it. Uh, The benefit is the benefit. Social Security sets the benefit. Uh, They increase the benefit periodically due to inflation. And the benefit is the benefit for everybody. So don't worry about it. I won't worry then. That was easy. Well, really? The questions are hard. The answers are easy sometimes, right? I love it when that's the case. Hey, you're, you're in East Brunswick, New Jersey, not far from Edison, New Jersey. Do you remember Edison Lanes? I do remember Edison Lanes. Did you bowl there? Uh, my father ran bowling tournaments at Edison Lanes. Edison was the world's largest bowling alley, uh, 112 lanes in a row. Uh, The place was so big it could fit two football fields, not a column in the entire building. Uh, And I spent many, many a weekend at Edison Lanes uh, with my father's bowling tournaments. Wow, that's great. That's great. So uh, I appreciate your phone call today. That was Lester here on The Rick Edelman Show uh, calling from East Brunswick, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us on the program today. There's a lot more to The Rick Edelman Show this week. Our full podcast online is filled with additional stories and topics, including recent developments in the world of mutual funds versus ETFs and the latest saga surrounding Robinhood. All that and more on this week's podcast at The Rick Edelman Show. RickEdelman.com. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.